0: I just want to talk first about about the butcher's hook, uh, because it's a really—I mean, we should talk. We should refer to it as a debut. I'm being a bit naughty, but it's a really astonishing book. Tell tell us a little bit about um, about right about writing about where it came where it came from as an idea in your in your head. Had that idea been germinating for a while?
1: The idea of writing had for as you can see years. Yeah, that first book, the, it was called the music box. Um, I rushed the ending. It, it doesn't work. The the is fine. But all the other things I've done were guided really by the fact that for as long as I can remember I wanted to act. That was my driving force. And it guided me through school, it guided me to drama school afterwards. Luckily, it guided me to actually getting my equity card. And then actually to presenting, because although that was a detour, uh, Blue Peter, which was the programme I presented first was always live and we didn't have interque, so we had to learn our scripts. And although the time frame might be a bit tricky and different, it felt like acting, acting me, but being on, on the screen. But always in the back of my mind, I think I think there's a, a musical term ostinato beat, which means something that is just under the music, whatever happens on top. And my Ostinato beat was wanting to write. And the longer time went on, there was a busy went over. Quite a long time. The more problems, difficulties, reasons, excuses for not writing, I put in my own way, which is slightly dark, I suppose inevitable. And looking back, I think it's because, although I've done some pretty silly things, in so I wrote television companies and on stage, and all of it was lovely, I would take a single second back, I was taking the idea of writing, really seriously. Books have always been incredibly important to me. And I knew whatever I did, I wanted to matter, not not necessarily to the world or world, but to me. And so I just kept on digging those boats and building those barriers and not doing it. Until I had this voice in my head and I'd always written little scraps of things, ideas or scenes or people, and I had this notion of a girl, I knew mean, she was young, I knew mean, there was a birth and a death, I knew mean, it was an unhappy household, I knew mean, it wasn't contemporary, wasn't quite sure when then. And then by lucky chance saw uh, an advert for a writing course, which I think was um short enough for me to commit to with my attention span, but long enough for me to really find out if it was worth pursuing. So I'm very grateful, I picked them up a lot to see that as well, for getting onto that course over what happened at the end of it. But it was the last thing from the chain, and after that,
0: more was exclusive. I mean, You'd written you've written—you'd uh, written some of the book already, has not you, before you applied to the... A chapter.
1: Yeah. That's so all I had. So just a chapter? Just a chapter, and for apply of the course, because you had to submit 2,000 words, and that's pretty much what I had, and a synopsis, so I made one of those up. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of the course, I really didn't have much more, but I had been approached by one of the agents there, which is sort of... Without being too true, I think that's the fairytale. tale. You know, that is that's a lovely thing to yeah. happen. I certainly did not expect it. i was still really excited to be able to say it because although Curtis Brown is an agency, and so you're within the confines of this agency, and they tell you how proud they are, they also tell you in you know, no uncertain terms not to expect representation of you, which is quite
0: right because am going to yeah. it would be yeah.
1: it would be a clamour.
0: So it was very lovely, and it was just the last cake really. home. And what and what and uh, what was it? Do you think that the discipline of that Creative Writing
1: Course brought to you. Well, oddly enough, I think it was just in its simplest terms the fact that there were 40 of us, very mixed bunch. The youngest was 22, the oldest was 74. Um, Eight women, six men, and we covered all the spans. There were journalists, students, lecturers. In fact, somebody who'd been um, a commissioning editor at Children of BBC although BBC, all our parts of the So you know a mixture, Not, you know, nobody that stop in the street and you look like a writing horse person. But um, we workshopped each other's work, that was part of it. And it was just like the light going on. I began to see, looking at other people's work, and knowing that we were all rookie writers, there was no sense that we weren't doing anything other than learning from each other, but just suddenly realizing that, you know, you can, you can make this stuff work, you can make it do different things. Just because you've written something down doesn't mean it has to stay like that tense can change, the characters can change, the plot can change, the order can change. But I'd never really understood it before. I had this terrible feeling that I would write something and then I would try and change it and it would just slip through my...
0: <coughs> but I,
1: I then understood, looking at other people's work, what might be possible with
0: mine. And it was, it was a revelation. So let's let's talk a little bit about the butcher's hook itself. Because Anne, Anne Jacobson is a very strange <laughs> and... Intra- idiosyncratic main character, isn't she? She
1: is, so. yeah, she is. Uh, and I suppose having created her myself, I feel quite defensive about her. She it's fair to say she gets up to some things I wouldn't advise, you know, there's that bit on the reader when you say mums and daddies should leave a room. But <laughs> anyone with a grudge you go shouldn't read a book because it gives you ideas about the way to carry on. But in her defence, uh she was living in Georgia, London. 1763. Uh, she's a teenager and this is at a time obviously when girls weren't educated, then her future was mapped out for her, she was expected to marry who her parents said she would marry, She's has been lost to her son. So she doesn't meet the world at all and yet she's smart and curious and I hope she's funny too and then she falls in love really hard with an inappropriate toy uh, most unsuitable. <laughs> um, He's the, the butchers much,
0: boy. The unsuitable <laughs>
1: suitor. He really is and... And I, I can remember those feelings of you just fancy someone and that's it, that's all, that's, that's your world, and you don't want anyone or anything else. And so I thought, supposing you were trapped in this household where her mother has just given birth to a new baby sister, but Anne is not interested in the child at all, mainly because he is, she is no replacement for her adored baby brother who died some years earlier when he was a um, toddler. And in the intervening years, her mother has had several miscarriages and is still her so and has been absent but presently really, in her daughter's life because she was there but mostly confined to bed. And her father is angry with the world, and he's retreated
0: too, he hasn't time for her.
1: I it's you've got all that, and yet feeling, don't you feel like we do because they must have done yeah. in the olden days. They we were us, weren't they? Only just you know, wearing different clothes and getting into different forms of transport. Myself. <laughs> yeah, they didn't Twitter. They're like I'm They I just had this intense desire to get inside her head and then see how far she could go and it turns
0: out quite the way. And uh, well we can we'll come back she's very unparented, which was a thing we <laughs> might we, we might come back to. <laughs> and she life does take her in a strange uh interesting direction. Let's not let's not talk about her mouth more. Well it it's that paper the paperback has got a spattered love on the cover and that's cool. And the beautiful, you see your paperback in your, it's really, beautiful you I think the book is only out this week, I think you came back. Yeah, last, last week, I know, um, I know. I'm uh, still going into bookshops and streaking it, so It's really, it's really, it's a really, it's a really
1: beautiful cover. <laughs> I out. did that's that's well. a hardback
0: as well. Yeah. Did you visit your book? Did you, <laughs> of course <did> you, <laughs> I do. Did people send you, your family send you pictures of your book yes, in cities? Uh, yes, they do. In think, Yes,
1: and if there's ever a sort of compilation of CCTV,
0: it'll be me going into bookshops and <laughs> stroking it, moving it to the front, you know. Kind of it's just, yeah. I I do different. that with magazines all the time. Always putting the magazine I'm working on See? in the front. Yes. covering up every single copy of my name. <laughs> Racing post and <laughs> GQ and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And my and my mum as well in waitress. Exactly. And I've got the posse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we should well let's let's um let's come back to the butcher. I want to come back to the butcher later. Okay. Um so let's come on to your first book choice, which is does anybody? Does anybody remember this from when they were a child? Do you have it too? Oh. It's, it's the gold. It's the golden treasury of verse of, of poetry, and it's and it's wonderful.
1: It is wonderful. It's, it's, it's illustrated too. A very distinctive style of,
0: of um, illustration by so, John Walsh Allen. So, so tell images. me, tell me when you first were aware of, of this book and what it what it means to you. I was given a copy of this when I was
1: ten, and it was my first introduction really to the way poems can be different. I changed schools already four times by then, so I've had a variety of teachers. And obviously, he your was father, your school, so in the courses. Yes, he was, yeah. And in one of my schools, I had to learn poems I wrote, mm-hmm. usually, so I can still can you remember recite them still? some of that. I come from points of Crete and Han, i make for concerned Sally. Lots of, yes, I can. But this was the first time I realised that you can home is like a little slice, I it. think. It's, it's, it's the closest thing to a soul, I suppose, in that it has to do its work really quickly. But there are lots and lots of variations. And this is a really good collection because it's, it's childlike. It's divided up into sections which are easy to negotiate. Anything from the people you might meet to stories they might tell, to the seasons, to Christmas, to animals. So it's a lovely polyglot connection, collection, but equally it, it ranges between bits of the Bible, old Proverbs, it introduced me to Robert Frost, to Gerald Hopkins, to a load of poems that, and poets that I became devoted to in their fuller collections, but it was a really lovely book, and, and I can still remember the feeling of reading poems like Beth Gillette, don't think it's too sad for now, but afterwards. But the narrative poems especially, which go over pages, which is always delightful. Because if you say to your parents, I'm going to go to bed after I've read this poem, and then it's about four years long, <laughs> it's off your bedtime. But I, I can't ever replace those feelings with, with anything else. And going back to the now, I was looking through it this morning and thinking, these, these poems are, I know it's true, but they're friends. And they haven't stopped being friends. Even, even the ones that are more simplistic are still mm. delightful.
0: So which which I mean is there is a one in I know you had uh, one that you were perhaps going to read to give everybody a flavour of what of what really captured you about the captivated you about this book?
1: Well the, yeah the Do one which is, is either Robert Frost who I absolutely adore or Jeremy Hopkins ditto and they're sort of tasters, really of their work. It's funny actually because the, the chap who put it all together Louis Untermeyer I don't, I don't really know his work but. When I was a child, of course, I didn't quite realise that um, you know, he's, he's collected this. He does quite cute little intros to some of the poems and points out things to look for, which is nice. He's also included, not surprisingly, a lot of his own work. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: it's only as I,
1: loved, I thought, but of course you would. But At the time, I just thought, oh, here's another poem by this man with his name on the front. But yeah, you can imagine that conversation with his publishers. And he's put one of them next to Robert Frost as well, which, you know, I think there's hostage to fortune right there on the page. <laughs> They're nice poems, but, yeah, that's quite a hard fact that's quite, a that's, quite, an e- that's,
0: quite that's, that's, that's an ego right there, isn't <laughs> it? It is, yeah. It
1: is, yeah.
0: So do you want to... Yeah, I'd love you to read if you're okay. happy to, you to look, do that. Do you want me, me to... Bit I'm going to come here, because
1: it's, a, uh, it's not a paperback. It's a massive book. But also, I brought in um, my copy, because my copy has my book plate in it. Yeah, with my initials and everything, and my handwriting has not got any better. Sorry about that. When I started writing, one of the, one of the times I started writing, one of the many times I started writing, I wrote everything longhand and then sought to transcribe it and, um, yeah, it drove me half mad, frankly. This is a little taster of Geron Manley Hopkins who I'd never met anyone on the page who could do with words what he did. It's astonishing, it's really audacious, and it's really beautiful too. This is Pied Beauty. Glory be to God for dappled things. The skies of couple color as a brinded cow, the rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim, fresh fire-cold chestnut falls, finches wings, Landscape plotted and pierced, fold, fallow and plough, and all trades, their gear and tackle and trim. All things counter, original, spare, strange, whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how, with swift, slow, sweet, sour, a dazzle, dim, he fathers forth whose beauty is past change. Praise him. Wow, it just is, not it? I don't know what it means either, but it's just, <laughs> it's just great. Really, really, it's just, yeah, I think it was something about the audacity of that, and, and I have always been in love with words, and the fact that there's a specific word for everything. We don't need hundreds of words for snow. We've got lots to describe falling in love, or dying, or stubbing your toe.
0: You know, we're incredibly rich. In language, and it's just—I mean, you're just listening to that, the gorgeousness of the sound. He doesn't, as you yeah, say, absolutely. it doesn't matter what it means, yes. but the the. Sometimes the it, uh, it reminds me of
1: a river. Sometimes it's rain on the window. It's stepping on a stick
0: when you're walking in a wood. It's just astonishingly vivid. Yeah. So, how was your family? I mean, your fa- your father was in the army, and you travelled around a lot. Did you uh, were you, were they quite a booky family, or? I suppose they were actually, although
1: it was never one of those "let's all sit together and read." Or uh, I don't remember my mother reading to me; I'm sure she did. There were always books around. The library was very important, though. Wherever we were, the first thing we did was join the library, and those visits to the library and I read very fast were absolutely vital. So I can remember that feeling of getting to the end of a book and thinking it's two more days I go to the library to try and make it last, but I can't. I want to know what happens. So that's, so that's a really extraordinary, intoxicating memory for me. They were members of things like the um, uh, Argosy Book Club, do you remember that, which was sort story compilations, And they also uh, had this membership to um, crime fiction, and I read lots of that as well, lots and lots. And I'm pretty much an expert on a lot of Victorian poisoning. <laughs> and, and the sort of dim 30s murders, where the, um, the victims were always really
0: well-dressed. It's one of the things I remember. Hmm. That's quite, I mean, it becomes, when you read The Butcher's Hook, you'll you'll find that early imprinting quite, it's quite, uh, obviously quite helpful. Absolutely. And I then
1: went on in my teens, and this is curious, I hope I share this with at least one person in the room, I read a lot of real-life murders, too. I obviously just wanted to frighten myself with this. So I read things like, you know, the story of the Boston Strangler or the Moors Murders, I remember reading that, or, oh my goodness, Mm. masses of them, obviously really odd. And by that stage, I I left school at 17, so I was working. And I had a job as um uh, what they used to call a Girl Friday, then you're allowed to say that anymore, but basically it was answering the phone with a proper PBX switchboard, uh, getting all the cakes when it was somebody's birthday, buying the stamps, and when there's nothing much going on, I read. And I had a really nice woman in charge of me who did after about six weeks of this say, I think Janet, when you're and you're not actually working. You want to look as though you might be able to in a minute. <laughs> so, so it's <laughs> That's very,
0: it's very tolerant. Really it was actually. It was. Yeah, she's a very nice woman. So with, I mean, with, I mean, poetry. Did you ever write? Were you were you always a pro Masses Always prose. You wrote massive poetry. Masses of poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I got a poem published in the Puffin Club magazine. Like wow. Um, yeah. Puffin just, Club. You know, Anybody yeah. else Puffin Club member? <laughs> what great. I was a
1: hundred actually and I, I this is really sad i I joined my eldest grandson up when he was about seven and I thought this is great because it was a quarterly thing and it was suggestions it was short stories especially written by children's authors and I think he got precisely two. Uh, magazines before it folded, Aww. so that was a shame. Yeah, so I have had to replace that, obviously, by actually spending my own oh. money on books for him. But <laughs> and I, I, I loved it, and because we were we lived in in Germany for six years of my childhood, so that was a lovely thing when that parcel mm-hmm. arrived with my name on.
0: That was pretty special too. So I find because my my father was also in the army, and one of the things that I found mm-hmm. was because you're moving around so much. I mean, there's something. You know, you go around saying it makes you very resilient and good at making friends, but actually, books became my friends totally. because they're the constant in your life.
1: Totally, and they're portable. When everything else is packed away, you can get back
0: to your book, and it creates your creates your world
1: instantly for you, doesn't it? So. Yeah, 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 we have a bond. We do have a bond. We well, might,
0: we might, we might come onto that with your next book. I, I suspect if we, I'm now I have got a copy. Not Janet's copy, but I have got a copy of this amazing book. Mine's in better condition than that. Your, it is, it is in better condition. Yeah, I'm resting I uh, myself. <laughs> yeah. I
1: <could> know <laughs> you've uh, really covered.
0: looked after it. This yeah. is
1: covered. In sticky black plastic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the respect. <Yeah. laughs> Not really. Now, number two, National Velvet. Oh, yay. <laughs> Hands up. That's Who all we need to say, National
1: though, Velvet. isn't it? <laughs> That's
0: it. Quite different from the film, the book. Uh, yes, really different from the film. So, where where were you when you first fell across gorgeous National Velvet? <laughs> I think probably about the same age, slightly older,
1: because um, we were based in, in Kent for a couple of years when I was um, 12, 13, and I thought I was only mad. Actually, I was really scared of horses, but I did go right. <laughs> <laughs> but National Velvet is it's the horse lover's dream book. But it's also it's an early example of young adult fiction, isn't it, in that you can quite happily, and I did, reread read it when you're older. But it's brilliant at capturing... That transition time, too old for dolls, too young for boys, horses right in that
0: gap. And it's just It's, it's a brilliant gap. Great. Yeah. Really. So should we so who's so as a story, should we recap the story a little bit? Because it's quite special. So who I mean it's who knows the story inside out? It's uh, do you want to Yeah, it's it's the story of, of Velvet who who is in a household
1: with her mother who's an extraordinary character, who was a former channel swimmer. And as a result of this, has has sort of done her backing in modern parlance, and has to be laced every day into a terrible metal corset. It really is. It's nothing like the film. But her trainer for the Channel swim, My, who works as a jockey and stableman, is also a family friend. And Velvet is desperate to own a horse of her own, and she kind of wins wins this horse. This you know, the, the, pie paw, ball, the yeah. pie. And they, the two of them become determined to race this horse and eventually end up entering it into the Grand National. Alongside, though, are her family, her two very beautiful, very different, very tall, very blonde, very lovely older sisters. And her little brother who is eight in the mm. book, who uh, collects his own spit in a jar <laughs> yes. and generally behaves like small children do. And it's about Feeling that you have when you're that age, that everything is possible and nothing is. Everybody's looking at you, no one is. It, it's absolutely, perfectly balanced in that awkward preteen seesaw of not quite knowing who you are but wanting to be someone. And um, it, it's very different from the film in all sorts of ways, not least because Velvet is is not the pretty one in the family, you know, and Elizabeth Taylor kind of is. Yeah, and, she's and got also, terrible
0: teeth, hasn't she?
1: Yes, terrible teeth. She doesn't. She's not really about her looks anyway, she just wants to be riding. But she, she also has this very strange relationship with Mai, who is, towards the end of the book, when they're gearing up for the big race, has to kinda of keep her going by giving her alcohol, uses this awful peppermint drink just to keep her, you know, like caffeine and to keep her occupied and, and ready to race. It's quite it's quite a difficult weed, actually. It's not sugar coated at all. But it's it stays with you, I promise, if you read it, even now.
0: And her father's a butcher. I'm just, non- I'm just putting it out there. I've <laughs> actually forgotten that. It just shows you that we are all the individual building blocks and everything we've ever
1: read and somewhere it gets lodged, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what I, I just want to the, the relationship between Araminti, the mum, and Velvet is fab, isn't she? Yes. So she Jeez. get she's she just never talks about this life as a, you know, this weirdness, you know, the channel, being a channel or swimmer. Pain, yeah. All her pain, her pain or anything yeah. like that, she's just kind of just got yeah. lots of grit. And yeah. then, and then Velvet needs to find the money to enter the Grand National. Yeah. Um, uh, Araminti has got her, saved her gold sovereign A stash, yeah, probably a running away fund. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Jojo Moyes also loves National so she, Velvet, well, being, a, a being a fellow, fellow kind of oh, it, did you <laughs> love, Did you do jumps in your garden? Yes. Yeah, I didn't yeah. go as far as pet. So She's got paper horses. You should pretend jump paper
1: horses. She's got these little paper horses which she's cut out of magazines and then stuck onto card, so precisely the same shape as the horse. And she polishes them until they have a wonderful sheen. And she makes them tiny bridles out of huh. cotton and little
0: saddles that she sews. And I got that completely. I yeah, think, yeah, that's that's. I, if me. you love if you love horses, all you want to do is just go and. Yes. Groom them or yes. cut things out. They are
1: very beautiful and there's nothing else like them mm. and and for a long time, at about that age, I went everywhere half horse, half me. <laughs> the bottom half of me was kind of the horse fit, <laughs> so we trudged along the road and I slapped my own thigh to make something faster. And everywhere I looked I would gauge fields by how good a gallop they were, or the gates. Mum was in the room. This is very comforting, cause... <laughs> yeah. but it was. Yeah. Really? It's really, it's a thing, it's we, a thing we... you go through. You have yes. to, you have to be Absolutely there. We made cavalletti, yeah, out of small brushes laid down to jump over, and we knew exactly how many faults you lost if you refused to jump wrongly. Yeah, it was formative, really. But I wouldn't now. I don't think find that being back on a horse. It's funny, That's isn't it? it.
0: I've ridden since and it was a painful experience. Yes. <laughs> so obviously whatever that was, I have replaced it's not it's not exactly it's not really about it's about riding. Yes. It's about it's about some re- wonderful relationship passion. perhaps. And a passion, passion for something. Yes. yes. That isn't about there's a there's a dumb friend there that really understands really? you. Yeah. Or maybe. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. I think so. So they see so, so this is, is a point. So you're writing poetry. You're about that time you've written your first your first novel.
1: Very encouraged by antique. What was it so you thought of set in Victorian times, it was the story of so rivalry. Histor- historical friendship. even then? Yeah, yeah, historical, yeah. Well I mean, no research at all, just looking at pictures. Um, <laughs> good,
0: yeah about good rivalry discuss.
1: between friends. But I can't actually remember. There is a copy oh somewhere. Like, well there is a copy. There is the copy, at home somewhere, but um, I haven't visited it because I think in some ways it would be painful, and in other ways it, I would not stop laughing, because I think I was quite a, both pretentious and imitative, which in writers is not a good thing. But in ten-year-olds it's really forgivable. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, I had this wonderful teacher at school, Mr Wayne, and goodness knows what happened to him, because like my friends, is it the same to you, that I was yep, friendly and with them um, before Facebook, there's one again. Mr. Wayne used to tell us stories anyway. The whole of the half of uh, the afternoon was taken up with him making up stories in front of us. And when I started to write things in creative writing, he said to me, um, "I'm going to give you something." Luckily, it was books. He gave me blank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I've told this story quite a lot recently. I thought people are very suspicious of Mr. Wayne. They needn't be. I never went into the stationery covered with him. It was very purely. He just gave me loads of blank
0: books and said, "You can just write." I said, just right. write. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that when the bug started, do you think? Do you think, actually, that's what I want to do? I want to be a writer? It's probably when I understood it was possible,
1: certainly, and that and that I also needed someone's permission. <laughs> so that's been a
0: key thing all the way along. I need to find my Mr. Wayne each time and say, yeah, you can do this. Here's the empty book. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Let's talk about who was Mr. Wayne at Curtis Brown. Yeah. That's another story. Do. And do. <laughs> so, so you're writing, you're reading, and then suddenly mm-hmm. your uh, reading habits sink... <laughs> The yeah. Bad Seed by yeah. William March, the million copy terror bestseller. Yeah. It's um, really... cute little Rhoda Penmark, so charming. <laughs> Such an old fashioned girl. Yet something about Rhoda makes people uneasy. Is it her need to possess things? Dear little Rhoda always gets what she wants. And if anything, anyone gets in her way, she gets rid of it. Or him, or her. So neatly, so efficiently, it's frightening. It's murderous. Well, actually, I can see quite what appeals to you. <laughs> I also feel, I have to say, in the
1: bad scene of William Marches' defence, that, that, that does it a disservice, right? It does it, do it a disservice. It? It's a lot more... It was a logically motivated film it and it's, it's particularly really,
0: schlocky cover. I'm, yes, I'm, that is, yeah. But it's I naughtily chose one Yeah, was, no, my one actually, I have got the penguin, which is obviously very discreet, just colours, you know, nice. A, yeah, I exactly. More played. educated book player. I mean, he won. I mean, it was it was the win the National Book Award in the US, so it, it was is. a big deal. It is time. an amazing book, I think, and um, it it's. It's really
1: almost not about the child, it's about the mother and her slow realisation that her little girl, who she regards as slightly odd, difficult for her to make friends, she can't quite work out what the problem is, but she slowly realises that the problem might be that she has inherited this bad seed, this bad gene, from the mother's own mother mother was adopted as a baby and therefore did not know her mother but she's encouraged to do some research into her birth parentage and um, regrets it deeply because she discovers that her birth mother was a mass murderer yeah. and realizes that she was probably around for some of but again that
0: makes it sound shocky and I I don't think it isn't it actually is. it's very it's 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 very psychologically driven. It's very tense and pacing. It's very
1: rich in character as well. I think there are various people along the way who suspect her, and that's quite cleverly done. LeMoy is the uh... Le-Moy the janitor. And also, I don't know about you. When I was reading books in American when I was little, it all automatically had a kind of romance to me.
0: Janitor, did, 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 that's a did you do great the voices? Word. Yes, so like, you, yeah. janitor. What even is a janitor? Exactly, exactly. dictionary. Yeah,
1: but yeah, but the the. Um, the walk-on characters are not. They're all beautifully drawn. There are lots of people who suspect her, lots of people who fall foul of her. And the the scenes where where she does um, uh, do things to people are really... I don't know. I think they're... I would say this, wouldn't I? And I think they're very well done. I think they are. It's the There is a scene... Are you likely to read this book? <laughs> I, <laughs> think, this, I uh, think we can talk... We yeah. need to talk
0: about it with the crossword. Yeah, there's a scene it?
1: where the mother actually witnesses one of the murders. And it's... Yeah, it... It's one of the best third person pieces
0: of writing it? it's really it's ex it's, it's extraordinary, isn't it it's, it's that feeling of
1: powerlessness it's like a man who she can't get closer to stop it all happening, but she knows exactly what's going on and Can that you? sense
0: of responsibility as well that this is her progeny, yes, you know? this is her fault in some way yes. i mean that I think mothers always feel that about their children that somehow you have caused something yeah well ultimately yeah, yeah. you it didn't do your, your lady, homework is it's your my guilt with <laughs> <So, yeah. laughs> yeah. yeah, no, your geez. bounty baby pack yeah. <laughs> and she's really, got these um, little um, what we segways, and Oh, sorry, kind of the, um, the shoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the shoes. The oh. um, little to stop her wearing wearing her heels down. Yes, and Leroy the janitor sees the marks of this in somebody's face. on, on his oh, oh, hands. Yeah, Yeah, these strange little right. half moon shapes. So it's all sort of—I mean—that it's written in the fifties. So the nature-nurture is a, it's yes. a big. You know, it's, I mean, it's what it's about. It's the it's the nature-nurture debate. Yeah. Um, and how how did that feel reading that? What what rang, what what really rang for you about that? Book? Well, oddly
1: enough, when I I thought about this since I nominated it, now the reason I've nominated it is probably because it's one of those books whose atmosphere stayed with me long after lights out. I did read it when I was very young. And I don't think then I was any of the characters in it, and that's probably the first time I can remember reading a book where I didn't have to become the sword carrier in the sword in the stone or the silver shield i didn't i didn't I could just be me reading it, which is quite a leap really.
0: I didn't have to involve myself in anything other than the story that's really it's really interesting i would never thought about that before there is a specific moment where you no longer have to identify really yeah you carry it i I was heidi
1: for years obviously i was katie you know i was all those people i was reading
0: it. but
1: all of a sudden i was i was an observer and it was the writer who was the person involving me so yeah i don't think i thought that at the time i mean i was smart not that smart but i think that's probably what stayed with me is the I'm always fascinated by writers who can create an atmosphere as solidly as that and also somebody who almost invents a language and we we'll get to that much, much um, more with, with Candia later but people who you'd have to be careful if you're re- writing something straight after reading them because you would end up
0: infected really in the right way with what they're doing well, some writers are incredibly leaky aren't they I Yes. Mean, Susan Hill talks about that with Virginia yeah. Woolf you know you can't <laughs> read Virginia Woolf whilst you're writing because you will end up writing absolutely and try, try Rachel Cuss these days. I mean goodness
1: yeah. that's, that's her style it's
0: wonderful but yeah you have to kind of go and have a sorbet something else after reading her but it's I mean now one of the things I think you do incredibly successfully in The Butcher's Hook is that sense of extraordinary atmosphere of suspense and of terror and not the material slightly, I think slightly sort of creepiness around. There's a character called Mr. Onion. He's straight out of Gilray, who her father wants her to marry. Yeah, it, terribly. You know, Enjoyably friend. But he's spent. just, where, where did he come from? He's fantastic. <laughs>
1: Well I always tended to say I know him personally I and mean, then all my friends are always in. It's So it's kind of been one no one really. And I'm sure they're all um, a collection by now of people that I've met along the way, but there's no doubt creative people out of your head is the wonderful power. But I think I've always been really interested in that very thin divide between the possible and the impossible. The thing that that drives the impulse in us whether it's good or bad, and you can't predict those impulses in the same way that you can't predict what's going to happen to you tomorrow. So the fact we live constantly with a whole range of possibilities, and this slice of today, now, we here in this room, is only one of them. And we don't know quite what's happening outside, and we don't know what's happening the rest of the evening, or even after we've <coughs> had sleep. So
0: um, yeah, the borderline, I think,
1: is really exciting.
0: And the actual, what the the other thing i wanted to that really struck me actually reading reading this and and having read uh, the butcher's hook is there's a there's a conversation with any with any with any uh book in which the character does things that are perhaps unconventional <laughs> <laughs> um and transgressive and, and you know and difficult yeah. is is that sense of where the moral compass is yes. because Actually, she's her, she doesn't isn't there isn't the road doesn't have a set there's no moral compass there it's just that she's bad Reed. because yes. she's been yes. you know, yes. she's been born like that yeah um, but it's not the same for Anne
1: it is no I don't think it is the same for my girl because I I think in my head for her we can justify what she does and in fact I wrote more stuff uh, I got rid of more people in that way basically and then I realised that she didn't have the same to her moral code operating, that there is a reason for what she does. And part of the reason that she does it is because she thinks it is the right thing to do because it's based on so little other information. And even when she knows that it might not be approved or she still can't quite condemn it for herself all, all the way through at all. And she's quite surprised when some people take it in.
0: Yes, exactly. It feels, it feels justified <laughs> for her. And, yes. and I think because the parents are so absent, mm. the mother, because she's confined to bed with yes. the successive pregnancies and the endless tragic lost children, yeah. um, and the father then then maybe you don't have that sense of, you know, there isn't the mother standing in, in kind of a horrified but impotent judgment that Absolutely, you've got to Absolutely, yes.
1: And without a peer group as well to interpret. And, and conversation yeah. is the thing that kind of explains our world to us, isn't it? You know, you yeah. say something to something and they like like, oh, are now chip in. So you understand the world a little more through through <laughs> conversation.
0: But she doesn't have that either. does she's, she's so she's so alone. Mm. She finds a friend, and it's the, the really <laughs> wonderful. Which I can't you can't talk I can't talk about the because everything would be a, a plot spoiler. But that oh. excitement of finding a friend and the tragedy of the friend not coming up to scratch. the yeah, lonely disappointment child really.
1: I think that's probably the from di- I hope lots of differences, but the main difference between the little girl in the bad seed and my girl is that. She doesn't have that sort of regret. Listen. No, at all. I mean she's you know, she she's, just yeah. sails on and classic sociopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we could that in the
0: Classic Exactly. But we come uh, be, um, actually, the actually interesting thing about National Velvet, returning quick that is that the mother is so present, and that's yes. More. That's so unusual in children's fiction. Yes, absolutely.
1: No, she has a role in that book, most definitely. And, and of course, you read her now and you identify with her. Yeah, definitely. And a powerful mother. And this is, really mm. you know,
0: this mother is powerful and, yeah, impotent. Yeah, I mean. yeah. And also, yeah, yeah I
1: mean, it, it is a book of its time, no doubt. The, the attitudes
0: to women are probably slightly different. But they still resonate. It, it's fascinating. Mm. Okay. And, actually, and speaking, I think that brings us neatly on to... Patricia Highsmith, don't you? <gasps> yes. Because yeah. there we have I mean yeah. actually we my last guest of the film was Jill Dawson, whose latest book is Yes, um, I have a writer, yet. Which, is, which is it's it's wonderful. So I Patricia and who was here who was here last yeah. month?
1: Oh
0: yeah, so, I really want to read that book. So we like we like yeah. Patricia Highsmith. We do, we do, yes. It was hard narrowing it down actually. So tell tell us when tell us about choosing Strangers on a train. Well, I did hesitate to put in more horrible, merciless crime, <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless,
1: you know, the books have built me, I've got to take the shtick for that. Um, I think she is fairly, no, that's towards- She's a she is a unique writer, in that I think she explores two things really successfully, and they're not always combined in thrillers. I think she's really good on plot, and she's really good on character and I, I, this is generalisation of course but I think in thrillers you often not sacrifice one, you don't need one so much a lot of thrillers are very plot driven so you just want the next episode, you want to find out who did it and why, but she makes you wait, she gets hold of you and says I'm going to really tell you about these people and I'm going to make you understand that you might be sitting next to them on the train yourself on the way home but it's done with an immense lightness of touch I think and yet it Sticks to you like a coat you can't remove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very powerful shape to play.
0: She does it really well, and she unusually for a crime when she like being called a crime writer, oh, yeah. she like to be called a writer of right. suspense stories. Absolutely. Really. Um, she lets she kind of lets people. She's very interested in people getting away with it. Yes. yes. Um, and that sense of judgment too. And I wondered what we don't stand in judgment as a reader. On, on those characters. No, that's we, quite we, we don't. It, it has a
1: kind of intense plausibility, doesn't it? That you would, at a certain point in your life, if you had that conversation with someone, if there was someone in the way, and somebody did almost say, well, there's a way of making that not in the way. That it seems as normal as, would you like another cup of tea? That it seems as plausible as, I'm getting off at the next stop. <coughs> Which is really clever, because... Her setup is very light. She just allows you enough into each character's head for you to take the rest on yourself, which I think is why it works so well. And I, I would probably defend her as being a writer of psychological thrillers as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but of course, crime is at the heart of it. But then I, I guess her premise is that at a certain point, we are capable of things that we did not know we could do. And certainly in, in this particular book, no, I don't know if, if you know who's, the story.
0: Who's read the I've seen the uh, film. Well, they, changed, they changed the
1: ending in, in the film, but, but so. it's it's about two people, one of whom would not have described himself in any way as a murderer, and the other who's quite happy to take yeah. on that role with a lot of other uh, not very nice things, um, meeting up and having a bond of circumstance. But I, I wouldn't want to do too much with the plot, really, because I think it is very important
0: as well, mm-hmm. the plot yeah i mean we can we can see that this to so the so guy is un, his uh, in love with a woman who wants to make his wife he's yeah. on his way to his ex wife to get a divorce yeah and she's quite a difficult woman where yeah. he meets this playboy called Bruno mm-hmm. in on a train who invites him into his private car and and they get and they get talking she's fantastic at Leaking out the character, isn't she? Yeah, each, she really is, yeah.
1: And even those. the ancillary characters. And um, they discover they, they would both be better off without one person in their lives. And it's Bruno, maybe, hatching the plot, which um, I think I initially thinks he will not go ahead with. And He marvels at the ease with which Bruno comes up with it, and then has to marvel at the ease with which he goes ahead with it, which leaves him in a dilemma, does he fulfil his side of the bargain? And it's that brilliant, brilliant thing that character is plot and plot is character. Yes. And parts. tiny details. i yeah, I tell you one which I don't think will spoil it, but when, when Bruno is dispatching Guy's wife, Miriam, and they're at that um what's that place at the opposite of New York State where they have a fairground? Thank you. Oh, right. And and he has followed her there and when he strangles her, he gets her her lipstick on his hand and he finds that utterly distasteful. And I think it's that sort of detail that he's killed a woman, but the thing he really hates is this mark of her, this distasteful mark of her on his hand. And you, yeah, like I do, you just carry that image afterwards and it really, yes. And it gets into the the building of the character is so small and yet so
0: powerful. So I I keep those details with me all the time. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, the plus about perfect murder, isn't it? You know, if you can, if if you don't have a motive for that murder, then you can't. It's very difficult to find Yeah. I guess, but it's but it's the, their, their relationship also is extraordinary. It is. Come She's home very home. fond of that kind of relationship,
1: isn't she? I and mean, Mr. Ripley, or mm-hmm. It's quite, quite, right it's quite and, isn't Yes, it? it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
0: what? Tell me about your <laughs> fascination with the amoral. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a good girl,
1: I think. <laughs> It, yes. Yes, it is more fun. But I think it's—it is that 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 distance between us and and the things that we could be doing, which we chose
0: yes. all the all the time to keep at a distance. But it's kind. But it's very 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 fine. And she does that, but I yeah. can't. We cannot talk about the butcher's hook. <laughs> in, in that, but that, that, is that it is that fine? Mm. That yeah, line Possibility between a hugely transgressive act. Yes. And something that. Is, you know, yes. it makes sense to you yes and it might seem life changing but at a certain point it's life a too and motivation is not something that you can well, motivation comes from within everyone's yeah. motivation is very different mm. <laughs> it is very. very, thing, very it? it is a is. <laughs> Um, I hate to come to your penultimate book but we're going to talk about Molly Keane's good behaviour Anyone great. Any? Tell us, first of all, tell us a little bit about about what good behaviour is about and about um, Molly Keane too. And then came to writing late, and obviously I'm always drawn to people
1: who came <laughs> <about them. laughs> <laughs> to writing late. Um, this is the story of Winston Charles. who comes from one of those Irish families where they have a lot more land than money. They are constantly trying to make ends meet. They are the ultimate faded aristocracy, much more than anything Nancy Litford came up with. They they can never afford to heat their houses. They stand in terrible moral judgment of each other, and yet they behave appallingly. And actually, this is such an appropriate place to be. It feels infused here with the sort of people I would expect to find walking up the staircase are oh, just people out of King's books. And again, she's, she is one of those writers who manages in a few pages to create this world that is so present that you're almost surprised to look up and see someone get on the tube, you know, it's, it is the distances between her characters which she closes in such astonishing intimacy is really present all the time
0: in her writing, it's a very powerful thing mm. and it and she was she wrote it, I mean she was a famous writer uh, in a different situation of oh, playwright wasn't she yeah um, um, M. J. Farrell. Oh, that's I it. Think? Yeah, and her. Uh, this was a book that she'd written that was never. She was not going to publish. <laughs> and uh, Peggy Ashcroft discovered it in a drawer when visiting her house. Lovely story, but yeah. Okay. And I think 1981? Uh, 1980, yeah, yeah, I um, think. Okay. Yeah, yes, I think So, so tell us, tell us why, what it, what it is particularly about this book that main makes it mean something to you and. Uh, I think it's a combination of of style and character, really. The, the plot
1: is less important here, don't you think? It's, yes, it's, it's not. It's proper. more about the people. And she also breaks loads of, of writing rules and in inverted commas. She can give you pages of description. There's hardly any dialogue for ages. When no, people do speak it sparingly, when they do it matters. But she ignores uh, show-not-tell, a great sweets of it but creates this extraordinary world. I suppose, actually, reminding me that she was playwright is right, because it is almost as though her characters are on a set. You can imagine every, she's very good at describing it too, you can imagine every detail of the rooms they walk into. And yet, she doesn't do that thing of making that in front of her people, the character is the most important thing. But there's a wonderful description where she, and she's not very old, I mean, but she's quite, she's, she's big and clumsy, she thinks no one's going to fancy her, and yet, she is wistful for a past she wasn't really part of so she spends a lot of time looking back to something that she couldn't really know much about and again i completely get that i think we all as we get older invent
0: our own nostalgia yeah the fantasy of of what could have been and what, and yes. what, you know, and what you've decided d- did exist.
1: Yes. I mean, she even says something like, oh, no, oh I, I really wish you weren't drinking martinis now. You know? <laughs> 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 we should be drinking Cointreau.
0: <laughs> yeah, wistfulness that isn't entirely necessary but builds you all the time. The, I mean, the, the good behaviour of the title is fantastically ironic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because it's all about that superficial appearance-saving beautiful behavior of the era of that particular class, yeah. and yet everybody behaves poorly.
1: really terrible people. Yeah, yeah, and flagrantly as well, and constantly. Men, men who have no care of her feelings, are constantly, suddenly sort of, abusing her or making inappropriate remarks, or or distancing themselves from her when she thought they were friends. And yeah, it's a really complicated world.
0: Because how I mean, how thinking thinking about the about about that that uh, she she has a extraordinary sense of deluding herself yes, doesn't she, she does yeah. and how and how and a, terrible mother. Oh, and a really <laughs> terrible mother oh a really terrible mother mummy
1: yes, <laughs> mummy i.e yeah, yeah mummy i.e yeah, yeah. yeah right. doesn't that just sum it up yeah <laughs> <laughs> but all yeah, right. right yes yeah. she she does delude herself all the time
0: and what i mean as, as an author that that sense of being how does that work for yeah, you that sense of being able to control your what information you leak to the reader I guess because that's the mastery of the, of the good behavior it but is and it, it's also
1: also I think you can almost tell what music is playing when they're on the dance floor even though she doesn't particularly describe it there is there's a lovely scene towards the end of the book actually um, when they're all at a dance in the days when your card was marked you know for which dances you would have and how most of the time the men forming up to dance with her are dancing a completely different set of steps from the music <laughs> So you're really in the room, but you're practically in their arms with her. And yet, she doesn't actually resist it. That's the thing, isn't it? She is, she is a, a bit of a stick in the stream. She has to go along with this. She's not fighting. She becomes more resigned as the book goes on, too. But she does have a spirit. So it's not as though she doesn't realise what her world is. Yeah. But she would not seek to escape it. She's not running away.
0: But like Anne, it becomes subverted into other things. <laughs> less transgressively than Anne. Yeah, I think just. <laughs> So, what to look for in winter? So, know cool? who, anybody know it? It's a revelation. It is so beautiful. So, now, nobody knows it. So, the the floor is yours the to tell us all. Tell us all about it. Ours.
1: Candy McMillan is a novelist. She, the time the book opens, although she goes back and some in time. She is a judge on the man book of crimes and realizes that she can no longer see what she's reading, literally. Her eyes are beginning to close. At first it's a mysterious and undiagnosed diagnosed blindness. Eventually, when she does get a diagnosis, she has treatment for it. But it's also the story of her life. I didn't know what to expect when I I don't know about you, but when I Not first moved, started no reading idea. it. And To be honest, what I knew of Andy McWilliams is that she ended up in Sue's corner quite a lot, unwittingly, I think, because she does take life seriously, but that doesn't mean she's a serious person. She's in love with words and wordplay. She's also very in love with her husband, and over the course of this book, describes the fact that she was unfaithful to him and lost him. And the circumstances of that are extraordinary and this is a contemporary writing we're talking about but nevertheless what happens in her life is bizarre and you would not think it would go on in, in the streets of oxford today but she ends up living with her ex-husband and his wife who is also living with the father of her twins and
0: this actually, book it is
1: but this book actually Overall, quite apart from the extraordinary story it tells, and certainly some of the things that are visited on her later when she breaks her leg and according to circumstances, when she loses people she loves, her mother's suicide. What it actually is, I don't know if you agree, I think it's a love letter to her husband. I, I think, think it is a love letter. just, it's astonishing how honest she is about the regret of losing him. And in fact, her... The second wife says to her at one point, "You know, Candia, you're practically a widow, except your husband is
0: still alive, and that is what it feels like." It's a book about it, yes. And and she does at the, at the in the beginning. Okay, so it's, about, so it's really actually. painful to talk about. It's she you feel for her? That, um, and she has the art of losing isn't hard to master. You know that poem. It's so. Um, Shall we read it? You Do you want me to read it? Yeah, so, the art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day, except the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster, places and names, and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch. And look, my last or next to last of these three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and faster, some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture of love, I shan't have lied, it's evident. The art of losing is not too hard to master, though it may look like write it like disaster. That ah, is the book in a nutshell, isn't it? It really is,
1: yeah. No, it is. It is extraordinary, and it, it. I don't think you could read anything else while you're reading it. It just has an extraordinary, almost suffocating, but it's a willing and pleasant sensation because she is so honest. So, as far as. That book, Building Me, it's about being as honest as you possibly can be, writing only for yourself, not sacrificing your voice in what you think might sell or be appealing to someone. Because I honestly don't think she wrote well, She had to dictate this book as well because she still couldn't see by the time she was writing it. But she keeps going in that brave and beautiful way. And it is, it is, it is. quite astonishing. But it is this love letter to someone that she regrets hourly by every second with every fibre of her being that she betrayed.
0: And the loss of her sight feels like some punishment, doesn't it? Yeah, well
1: she fully acknowledges that it might
0: have had a psychological imperative although she had to have a series of horrible operations to get it back. I can't can't now pronounce what it's called, but it's not that her sight is gone, it's her eyelids. It's her eyelids closing, Yes. 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 yes.
1: At one point... She was literally propping her eyes open to read. Literally. She's kind of going around holding her eyes. Yes, and holding walking. her eyes. It's, it's, it's a,
0: nice seeing Thank you very you much. Are. yes.
1: But it's reversible, doesn't
0: it? She doesn't see them there now. I can get some drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only, I mean the, the loss and the pain and that terrible early scar of her mother's suicide is, um, is one of the, the narrative, it's the narrative yeah. engine of the book. But it's also a book about the magic of reading, and and I wondered whether that that was something we wanted to explore. Definitely, yeah. And weirdly, too, I think it's also a book about trying
1: to belong, because although I think she's someone who would be absolutely the centre of any room she was in, she constantly describes herself as outside everything and
0: looking in and not feeling part of the action. And there's Which a is, cuckoo too, yes, as well. So yes. she, she kind of acquires herself a <laughs> new family when she's at school, doesn't yes, she? Yes, and yes. And the, the family she acquires, the father ends up giving her away in her first marriage, yeah, yeah. with her real father sitting on the pew. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel contemporary at all, it's does it? It, it is, yes. it's like it's something out of a fairy fairy story. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, but yes,
1: definitely her, her solace always books and words and the power that they have and the, the way that she wants to write is in there too and and the people who encouraged her along the way. But I I can't get away from from the love in it and the ache of her loss. Extraordinary loss. And everybody becomes bound up in it too. She does, she has children. She has uh, two children before she meets the love of her life that she lost and then she goes on to have a child with him as well. And her, the husband that she loved is Anglo-Indian and she constantly feels outside family she thinks initially deliberately so that we come, uh, comes to realize that actually it, it wasn't really like that but she's just mis- misreading the signals so there's a lot of if you really don't pick up on the actual circumstances of what happened to her or the person that she is as a writer I think anyone will recognize the, the trophies that we carry that we want other people to admire and the way that we want to be part of them and join the club and she's She's wary of it, she's very
0: watchful, and she's almost too smart for her own good, but she wants to belong. She wants to belong, and they struggle to belong where you feel rejected all the time. Yes. Mm. I mean, I think the misreading singles is interesting, isn't it, but she's, is, her mother-in-law is quite, is quite horrible. I
1: think, yeah, yeah, passive-aggressive <laughs> masterclass, there. yeah, really.
0: but she's also, I, I don't know
1: what you offer, I like her a lot, you know, I, I, want, oh. I, want, to, I want to meet her. <laughs>
0: She's got that, br- that brutal honesty of self. Yes. It you know, makes her very
1: appealing. It I does, think. yeah. She's and very and tall as well. She has nothing in common with Molly Keane ceremony. She takes up a lot of space in the room, and she doesn't compromise that. Yeah. And apparently people who do know her say that that's, you know you, you are drawn to her, not just because <laughs> she can spot her in the room, but because she just has this ability to be herself wherever she is, despite the fact she spends such a lot of time denying it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So let... I want to come back quickly to the idea of being honest in writing and, and writing for yourself. When did you, when did you feel that you discovered that ability to write just for yourself about, and geez, not to worry oh. about?
1: It? <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I think, I think I'd spent a long time quite about all the other stuff that I thought I had to do to be a writer. You know, maybe wear different clothes, a different timetable, not see my friends. And then on a more serious note, I thought I might have to investigate myself a bit more and be rigorous about the way I was writing. And I, I have to, and to thank for the fact I suddenly thought, no, I'm, I was that writer all along. All I had to do was stop, stop pretending to be someone else and just write it. But I think it's it's probably common anyway. And and the only thing I have my age to thank for is the fact that I am now brave enough. There's not much time I have. I'm brave enough to write like that rather than worrying about developing a style, I haven't got fucking time. So I better get on with it. And
0: <laughs> not I'm not hear the judgmental yes. in voice. Inevitably, yes.
1: Well, for a long time I and, and I you know, I don't mind admitting this that I if I did show anything I'd written before, and I've never shown anything in the butcher's hook because it wasn't there, but the stuff I'd had to go at before along the way I have a crude writer <coughs> friends, who I really admire and I had shown them little things and it was no of reckoning to do it. Utterly Horrible, worse than taking my driving test, which was awful. And they would come back and say things like, hmm, there's something there, but... And I couldn't get past the but. I just thought, "Ah, I can't do it then. You know, I I was constantly erecting barriers. If it was somebody whose opinion I didn't respect for any reason, then I thought they were idiots. But most of the time, I knew I was. So I just could not get past that fear, could not get past it. I haven't lost it. I, I'd be at great pains to point out that I'm writing book two, and it still feels horrible. But it's a voluntary let thing now—the the fear and the horror. I understand it better.
0: So that must have been. How was it then, having to workshop your writing with other with <laughs> other people? Yes. Oh my goodness! Uh, I was just by the basin
1: in the Haymarket. I paced around the streets the first time that anyone was going to discuss my work. They do. I think they have a good system. Each week you look at two writers' work. These hours are only an hour once a week, two hours, sorry, once a week. So each week you have an hour of looking at a published writer's work and then half an hour really on yours, which is quite a generous allocation. And it means that you take away a, a writer's work the week before and everybody then is encouraged to read it, make notes and return the next week with their opinions ready. And that really horrible sensation I can still call to mind now of just waiting to hear what they thought, utterly horrible. Utterly horrible, but it's a bit like um, everybody reassuring you that the water is actually fine once you're in. It sort of is actually once once i got past the initial reaction, yeah. which was positive, I have to say. Uh, you know, because I didn't get a carry on otherwise, but but of course positive with a lot of buts and becauses and why not And but once i got past that. It only happened twice, but I began to enjoy it, and I still enjoy it now. I still do, and even now, when somebody wants to discuss the book and they don't utterly love it, that's still cool. So look how far I've come. Wow! Yeah, that's really. Yeah. <laughs> 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 my free therapy, my Janet Ellen. <laughs> really like, well, I'm, I'm,
0: I've asked for readers' notes on the books we've given away, so perhaps I should ask for uh, definitely, the on the,
1: definitely. On I the love what GFPs. people find. I love. I can. Can I share with you my my worst review? Everybody tells you not to read Amazon reviews. I, I well, admire yeah. the writers who don't. Well, I is. can say. It
0: arrived in a nice well, package. Well, I have to say that it, obviously the
1: extremes are great, but the really interesting ones are one star. Because I, I, I've not reviewed anything on Amazon. I personally haven't. But I think it must be quite a lot of effort to read a book, hate it enough to review it and give it one star. But they are quite, and I think they're formative. And my favourite one. Says something like, "This book is utterly disgusting." I am surprised I finished it. It was recommended to me by a friend. Unfortunately, I cannot remember which
0: friend. <laughs> 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 that is so great, isn't it? That is really. it might have been tips a week Yeah, the cure—the cure for minding what people say about your book is publication actually. <laughs> oh yes. So what? Because that brings up my afraid my final question. I was supposed to ask you what. Um, what success looked like for you before? I mean, before you got the great, you know, the great of You wanted to write your whole life. You finally go right. I'm not just going to wait for that voice to come from anywhere <laughs> yeah. or to have the perfect writing shed or any of those. Or back seven habits of successful writing or whatever, it, whatever it is. I'm going to get on and I'm going to do this. Yeah. Well, um, so you was success finishing it, or was it, or was it that house? Was there a cherished notion of being Actually, a famous it, author? It probably was. Obviously, I've always wanted to be a famous author.
1: But it probably was in that first workshop where nobody... It wasn't so much that nobody hated it. It was more the fact they wanted to know what happened next, which is great. great. And so did I. And also with that <laughs> particular character, one of the girls said to me, "I, I hate your and she's terrible i love her and i thought oh, that's great Gully, if i can keep that going that's great yeah. the goalposts move all the time as i'm sure everyone will tell you you cherish the idea of even writing and i cherish the idea of finishing it and of course i wanted to have an agent and once i had i wanted to be published and then when it was published i wanted to be read and then everybody says you want more readers <laughs> then you write another book but I think it comes back to that initial thing, that if you can find a way of describing stuff that everybody knows about anyway and make it different and personal, then that's an amazing thing to think you've done. And that's what all, all the writers I've chosen, you know, because you can't avoid cliches. You know, life is full of them and there's only, what, seven plots or something isn't it. it. But what you can do, hopefully, sometimes, briefly, just for a moment, is find a way to do it that nobody has or that somebody recognizes and that's yeah i wouldn't do that all the time it won't happen much but that's, okay. that's a great moment yeah i book two.
0: book We're
1: two <laughs> 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 no 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 uh, my editors in the room so obviously it's nearly done um but <laughs> no, it is actually it is nearly done uh, yeah it's set in the 1970s so i don't think it's another historical novel but some of you might disagree because <laughs> <laughs> an ancient history so I'm obviously still not quite ready to give my characters mobile phones and I think I want them to wait for buses it's actually set in rural Kent which is that the time I had as a child a brief moment when we we owned the first house and it wasn't an army quarter and I could choose the color for my bedroom but, but the heroine is not an army wife so she's she is not totally me, but she's having an affair and she really shouldn't be nobody should obviously
0: but she's really she's just not very really good at it <laughs> <laughs> she really is I can't I can't I can't wait for that this sounds great <laughs> and the ability to conjure such extraordinary atmosphere that's in that's so. out of the butchers book and the character I just dropped a goalie <laughs> yes so I know that we will love it and I know that everybody here will really enjoy reading the butchers book it's an extraordinary debut and be just honestly I mean, honestly
1: but honestly, because it is no one-star
0: review because oh, I know who you are. Well, no, it's point. fine. Okay, <laughs> opinion is an opinion. I,
1: you know, I don't want to
0: force an opinion in someone's it's head. It's impossible but. to have a one-star review. I think,
1: unless no, unless you hate your friend yeah, like. <laughs> 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 yeah. I have to say, I I do think this is a, a
0: brilliant enterprise. This, yeah. this evening, yeah. it's just <laughs> lovely. It's so interesting talking to you about the books that it you is. you've loved and to enterprise. share them.
1: It's really lovely. Yeah. It's such a obviously anybody. If I ask any of you what your six books are, you would spend as long as I did, and then you'd have to stop because there's a deadline. And there are all the books that you leave out. But the brilliant thing about it is it makes you remember them too. So you do get all those books back as well. The books that aren't here are still in my head. So that's
0: a really your treat. Your your memory palace, your library. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. It makes you really go back and forensically analyse your reading, which is a treat. It's been a great privilege that you've done that for this. So thank you very much indeed. And, oh. Five stars. <laughs> Five stars <yeah. laughs>